Hey everyone, this is Brian Ferguson. If you're listening to this, then I know you enjoy the Bumps and Thumps podcast. In order to continue to get the guests on and improve our podcast, we need support from listeners like you. That financial support helps us continue to do the podcast and get guests on that we normally would not be able to get on the show. Please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N and the number three after and click on the support button. There will be options there for you to make a monthly contribution. With your contribution, we can continue to conduct the podcast and ask more well-known wrestlers from the past and present that require financial compensation to be on the podcast. Again, please go to anchor.fm forward slash Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot Ferguson, F-E-R-G-U-S-O-N and the number three and click on the support button. Thank you for listening to the podcast and thank you for your support. Join another edition of Bumps and Thumps, the talk of wrestling. I'm your host, Brian Ferguson. My guest today is a true ground pounder on the business side of the independent pro wrestling circuit. He has worked with great wrestling greats such as Harley Race, Ric Flair, The Undertaker, and many others. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to welcome Mr. Dan Geyer. Dan, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on Bumps and Thumps. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's a great honor. Um, I've seen you a few times when you were in WLW, World League Wrestling, when you guys were out of uh, Eldon. And uh, we talked a few times, and you just came across my thoughts one day. I was like, you know, I need to have this person on my on my podcast because you've done a lot of work, done a lot of great things. So, And here we are. So thank you. Well, thank you. <laughs> so first, I'd like to get into uh, how you grew up. Um, are you originally from Eldon, your schooling, your childhood? Uh, I'll try to keep this short. I grew up basically halfway between Lake of the Ozarks, Bagnell Dam, and Eldon on US 54. My parents and great-grandparents owned basically semi-back-to-back farms. Uh, that's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. So I had a Eldon mailing address, but I went to school at the School of the Osage in Lake Ozark. And then, believe it or not, a lot of our services came out of the county seat, which was about 16 miles kind of southeast. Uh, graduated from School of the Osage before it is the institution it is today. Uh, I graduated <laughs> with a class of about, uh, there were, I think, 68 of us. Uh, a couple didn't get to graduate. But um, after that, uh, for those that don't realize who, my size and stature, I'm about 6'3". In high school, I went about 270, 271. I accepted a football scholarship, you know, like most kids, wanting to go as far away from home as you could go. <laughs> I accepted a, a scholarship to a, a part of the Montana State University program, way up just north of Monzula. Um, Soon discovered why they were offering anybody and everybody a scholarship. Uh, there were very few upperclassmen. Uh, the big sport on campus was rodeo. 
and in indoor training facility, the whole, I mean, it was full blown rodeo. Uh, that lasted till about homecoming. Uh, when the, I believe we would call them a Dean that I believe they called it a provost came in and announced that they were shutting the football program down. Oh no. So we were like, I, I really don't know if we're NAIA or Division Three. So we were very small. Program had maybe 60 guys in it total. Oh, wow. Uh, so we came in, so the, the board had just met at homecoming. There's big, you know, the homecoming events to shut the uh, program down. Um, they would honor our scholarships, us underclassmen, through December. But after December, sorry, guys, you can stay if you want to pay. Uh, they would honor the seniors, which were, I think, two or three on the whole team, till the end of the year, till they could graduate. Uh, luckily, I got a – my old high school coach's brother was coaching at Southwest Missouri State, SMS, Missouri State now, in Springfield. Uh, he gave me a call when he heard the news. So I went down there, and I made another life-altering discovery. There are guys a whole lot bigger than I was, a whole lot faster, and – I hate to say this, not as bright as I was. I, I take that from spring ball. I've been at there, you know, six weeks. Spring ball opened, and the coach hollered out a player's name and told him to hit a brick wall at full speed, and he did it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then he hollered out another guy's name, and he hit the brick wall at full speed. And I'd already played a little pickup basketball and goofed around with these guys. And I could see they, you know, linemen were dunking the ball at 300 pounds. And I'm like, I think uh, I'm done. Yeah. So I came back and uh, kicked around the lake a little bit, tried to survive a winter, uh, got on with a Fortune 5 company north in Eldon that manufactured motors, electric motors, Uh, got in their management program where they encourage you to college and they help you go to college. And once you graduate, then you get into the supervisorship and then they move up the, the ladder. Uh, graduated there, uh, got into management, ended up before they uh, were bought out by another Fortune 500 company and the plant was closed. I was in the logistics side, managing their distribution warehouse and, and shipping product all over the United States. Uh, luckily, growing up at the lake means you worked on the strip when you were young. Started about 12 or 13 in the arcades and the bumper cars and the bumper boats and all the, you know, ring toss and ring the bell and basketball, you know, all the things the strip was in the 70s. And um, my father was a, worked at a marina as a marine mechanic. And that is where I actually met Harley Race when I was about 9 to 11. I can't quite, I know the time frame, but when you're a kid, that all just kind of blurs. Right. Uh, when Harley had came back from the Minneapolis territory, so this had to be about 71, 72, mm-hmm. uh, Larry Hennig had got him hooked on power boating up north in the Lake Great Lakes. So he had bought a speedboat. And once the warranty runs out, dollars cost a lot of money. And uh, for those that know the legends of Harley's driving on land, he drove the same way on water. Get in it, throttle goes all the way open, and you were gone. Well, boats are not as forgiving as a car is. You can run the car hot and heavy and just keep water and oil in it, and you're going to be all right. But when you're cutting through water and 
Uh, Truman Dam wasn't even alive then. So you would see logs and sticks and barrels floating in the lake and Harley would hit them and tear a prop up. And he would call my dad because after the boat went out of warranty and especially on boats that were not kept in the marina itself, uh, their boss had an understanding with all the mechanics and the guys that worked on it. I said, hey, I know you're going to get calls from our former customers. All you, If you take them to do on the side, just don't undercut me on the labor. You can cut me on the shop fees and all the other fees that get tacked on. But if I'm charging $20 an hour labor, you need to charge $20 an hour labor. And that's basically uh, for 20 years. Uh, Harley's boat would run out of warranty. My dad would piddle with it for the next two or three years. So he'd get frustrated and go buy a new one. And then he'd run it in warranty for two or I think two to three years. And then all of a sudden go out and then he'd have to be back to work on it. So I knew and met Harley when I was really little, uh, I went to my first wrestling match shortly after that. It was in Sedalia, Missouri at the convention center. I had gone with my dad because my dad, when he worked on Harley's boat, was either after hours or on his day off. Yeah. So I'd gone with my dad on his day off because Harley was on the west side of the lake. We the, All the action was on the east side or the strip, Osage Beach, Camerton side. So it was an hour. It was either a 15-minute boat ride or an hour car ride over there. So if you went by boat, yeah. you always had somebody with you. That was just a rule of the water. So I went with my dad, and lo and behold, Harley was still there. He had taken basically. They had ended in Kansas City on Monday night, and they were going to start back up in Kansas City that Saturday. So we were just going to spend the week. So being a stupid little kid, I was. I was dancing around, and it was my birthday week. Ah. And, you know, it's my birthday, it's my birthday, it's my birthday, it's my birthday, yay. And Harley was down there with his cigarette and his cocktail and finally tried to tip my dad. My dad would never take tips because he felt the difference between what he was normally getting paid and what he was promised to charge was enough to make up differences. Mm -hmm. So Harley grabbed a piece, grabbed the receipt my dad had written and flipped it over and scribbled some stuff on the side and stuck it in his pocket. And basically on the back, when I... I finally found that note when my dad had retired, he was still on his desk at the marina, <laughs> was admit to front row, this family, take care of them, HR, in his left-handed slant. Ah. And so we went, so Harley said, now we're going to be in Sedalia, come see us. So I pestered my dad for another week or two, and we finally went to the show, uh, True to his word, we showed that little, my dad showed the note to the lady at the ticket thing. We were, the usher came and got us. We went right down front row, corner post, yeah. great seats. And then right as the show was starting to wind out and Harley was getting ready to come out, the lady came down and whispered in my dad's ear. And he's like, no. And she said, yes. And I was like, what's going on? So they wrestled the match. And I think it was either Harley and Wahoo or Harley and Bob Bulldog, Bob Brown. I can't remember which two because it was you know it was just a one-off show they were doing, mm -hmm. but I do remember uh, Little Tokyo and Lord Littlebrook were they had the two midgets because they were going back with them to Kansas City. Yeah, and uh, so after so what the whisper was was the lady came down and said Harley wants to buy you all dinner after the show. Wow. So. Um, my dad wasn't going, so the show was over, and dad was like, come on, let's go, let's go. Well, the lady was waiting on us. 
to take us. And she said, I'm not going to make Mr. Geigel and Mr. Race and Mr. O'Connor upset because I didn't do what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So we had gone and it was a couple blocks. I can remember it was like a little white cafe that had the old, you know, Venetian blinds. They were all down, but the lights were on. We went in through the kitchen because the guy was technically closed. Uh, we walked in and here were all the wrestlers we had just seen on the card. You know, all, I think they ran six matches that night because the midgets were there. They were all at these tables gabbing and carrying on, and they had big wash tubs of beer and soda sticking around everywhere. And they were, you know, living it up. And uh, it never dawned on to me till the car ride home. My dad says, now, you don't say anything what you saw. Don't you say a word. And I'm like, what do you mean, Dad? He goes, didn't you just see everybody in that room just beat the tar out of each other for 20, 30 minutes, and now they're all in that little cafe drinking and carrying on having a good time? I'm like, well, yeah, they're buddies. He said, no, they're never buddies, son. Never buddies. So <laughs> yeah. That was my first freshening up to the business. And uh, so after that, maintained the relationship with Harley for all, you know, on and off. He would be at the lake. And then as I grew up, you change occupations. And due to my size, I ended up basically working the lakefront bars for during my college years and all that. And Harley would come in and, uh, so I knew him and I had met his, he had one summer he'd come down and introduced me to BJ as, you know, cause I had known his previous wife. And he said, this is my new wife, BJ. And we're, we're coming to the lake. How you doing son? Great. Duh. So I didn't think any about it. And my job in Eldon, we also had a plant in Ozark, Missouri in Cassville, Missouri. Okay. And as I was climbing up the ranks, I began to travel a little better be with a group of individuals to go to these other plants. So we went to Ozark, Missouri for, I think about a week and a half. And if you're living in a hotel room and going to the plant, working your 12 hours and basically grabbing whatever there is to eat and going back to your hotel room, it's a very dull life. Yeah. So a lot of the local guys we were working with, hey, we're going, just a Thursday night, we're going to, we're going to go watch some wrestling. You want to go with us? And we're like, there's like three of us from Eldon, man. We're like, wrestling? Said, oh, yeah, they put on this pro wrestling match at Remington's every Thursday night. Big, big dance hall. And, it, man, it, you might get lucky, might get on television. I'm like, well, we don't need to be on television, but we'll go, <laughs> you know, just being curious. Walk in the door, and lo and behold, BJ is standing right there. Oh, wow. And she grabbed, she said, Danny. And I went, yeah, she says, and I went, and I hadn't known her long enough to really place her face instantly. Yeah. I just knew that the cropped white, you know, blonde hair. And she grabbed me and took me around the corner and there was Harley. Oh, wow. And Harley, Hey bud, how you doing? Shook my hand. Uh, and uh, he said, well, we're here. And I, all the guys by that time had filtered in. They were like, you know, Harley race, you know, Harley. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> and uh, so we went to that show and then after the show was over Harley said well what'd you think and I said ah, not bad it's pretty entertaining he goes we're here every Thursday night if you're here come see me so the next Thursday night we were back in Ozark so I'm like the guys going we're wrestling you want to go again and I said sure so that time basically I sat beside Harley didn't, didn't see much of the matches sat by side Harley most of the time yeah. he introduced me to Dave Marquez at that time oh yeah okay uh, of course Gordon Soley was there I'd known Gordon, because he'd been at the lake a couple times with Harley. Uh, Bill a Bill Ash was kind of still floating around for those people of West Tech, uh, 
East Arkansas, Southwest, Southeast Missouri. He promoted down in the West Memphis, uh, Pocahontas area a lot. Okay. Um, Dan Gable was at the show. Um, Steve Sharp was at the show. So I met a lot of the guys. And then so by about the third or fourth week, BJ had conned me into being an usher and a doorman for WLW like they normally do. And uh, <laughs> so if you can be here at six o'clock, we'll let you in. You can just do that and enjoy the show. Well, the best part was you got to go out and eat with them afterwards. And Harley always took care of you when you ate. Uh, he didn't pay you for helping, but he took care of you when you said to eat. <laughs> Usually it was either Denny's or a Waffle House, or there was a small mom and pop place and Another inside story with Harley. He, people go, well, why did he always like this? You know, there would be like Denny's and IHOPs and all that. And he would never stop at those. He always go to a mom and pop place to eat. Mm-hmm. Well, A, you could say, well, he liked to support small business. But B, typically those restaurants would let him smoke. Ah, okay. Where the big <laughs> chains would not. Or if the smoking area in the big chains, you were tucked way back in the corner. Harley never wanted to be tucked way back in the corner. So. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the reasons we always we always stopped at the mom and pop places to, so he could smoke, and get taken care of. But, um, but that's basically that condensed twenty first four four years of my life with Harley, and what I did and how I got to where I was at. Yeah. And then of course, as you got involved with the wrestling, you started moving up from the usher to maybe the guy that did music to maybe the guy, and if BJ really trusted you, you became the guy that went out, and I think you attended a lot of shows when we had some superstars in. They always did the Polaroids in the ring. Yep. Well, you were the guy taking the money at the bottom of the stairs and getting them up into the ring and running that operation yep. to uh, back behind the merch table, helping her sell merchandise at break. And yeah. so uh, that was my evolution until one fateful night we had a ring announcer not show up. We used to use a lot of radio personalities that we'd done radio buys with. Um, and that personality did not show that night. They had some other side gig going on. And they're like, oh, we forgot that it was the same date. And they hadn't told Harley to like two minutes before the show started. Because oh, no. <laughs> there weren't any cell phones. I mean, just a guy come flying in and told Harley. Yeah. So Harley's looking around and uh, he said, well... You're the best looking one because I always wore, I guess we call them dockers now, and a button down shirt because that's all I, I never wore t shirts a lot. Yeah. He said, You're the best looking guy standing around here. Go do it. And that's how I got stuck into the ring announcing for about 20 years. Is <laughs> on one happenstance. And then the next night, the DJ that did it, I think we were that night, we were in Warsaw, and then we were in Clinton the next night. Uh, that DJ uh, was not a wrestling fan and wasn't really, it was kind of like the station made him do it. Yeah. So Harley wasn't happy. And then the last night, that Sunday night, we were actually in Concordia, I think. Okay. And uh, there was no DJ because they forgot to book one. Oh, no. So that, those three nights comment cemented my thing into things like that. So that's that's all that cracked up to me. 
Now you were an investor in there, right, as well for a while uh, in WLW? Yes. <laughs> uh, kind of. I, a, just, <laughs> I just remember you saying that when we, this was years ago and probably 2012, 2013-ish, right before you left. Uh, I was there at one of the events. I believe it was in, I think it was in Eldon, actually. And you and I had talked for a few minutes and you had just kind of mentioned that. And I just thought that was pretty, pretty interesting that, because you don't really hear about that. You hear Harley race. That's who you think is the owner. That's the guy. Yeah. Well, you got, you got to look at the whole wrestling operation. You've got a ring, you've got something to, you got a trailer, you got something to pull it with. And you've got, uh, at that time, there was no pro wrestling tees where you could order five shirts and they print them for you. Right. You had to order at least a dozen of this size and a dozen of that size. So there was some upfront cost. Um, it started when they opened the wrestling school in Eldon. Harley did not operate the gym on the other side originally. Some other individual did. Okay. Uh, Harley actually only had the little bitty side, if you remember Maple Street at all, the little yep. tunnel yeah. where they're basically you walked in the storefront, there was a ring, you could barely walk around the sides, and it was Harley's office in the back, and then the storage stuff upstairs in the second floor. Uh, when the gym operators started to go out of business, he offered that side of the business to Harley, which meant Harley could actually open up the back part and do some other things. And then that would also make his school more attractive. Yeah. He could also go north next door and work out. Well, that was not uh, a great liquid cash availability that Harley had. So several of the guys that he got to know basically were around the table one night and he said, you know, if I could get you know, 25, I won't, I won't just disclose the number, but if I get X number of dollars, right. I can buy the gym, I can buy the equipment. And in turn, we will, I will give you a seat or some shares of the corporation, which WLW was. Right. Uh, he had done that when they first formed WLW with Larry Hennig, Carl Lauer, Derek Stone and his wife, there were some buy-ins at that time. So basically, we would, he, they would not only take part of our money to buy that equipment, but he was also buying some other individuals out oh, of okay. the investment group. So that was the first small amount. The second amount came around 2004 when we moved from Maple Street down to where the old Smith paper warehouse was, right across from Kentucky Fried Chicken and Taco Bell. Yep, we expanded because there was a dream of possibly becoming at that time there were developmental territories for wwe yeah uh, so uh, part of the stipulation was you had to have two rings uh, you had to have television and some other things so that was another big cash infusion and the other part was in missouri if the promoter's not there someone that's on the corporation has to be at the show and that's the same time Harley was going into the Hall of Fame. Ah, uh, okay. Which meant a uptick in public appearances across the country, which meant when we were running shows during our major show season, which was the spring, mm -hmm. Harley would be in and out so much. So they yeah. needed somebody. Um, so, again, a group, I think five. Unfortunately, I'm the only one left of that five. <laughs> <laughs> Businessmen in Eldon Hall at Buzzer McGee's or now Trevor T. Murdoch's or it's now called Whittles all chipped in a, a little money that night. So 
the, my investment was there. It was all in stock. Basically, you have X number of shares and you're on the board now. Mm-hmm. So it also served as an incentive to keep part of the staff around <laughs> more yeah. than, you know, because it, it, when you're spending every Friday and Saturday night and we were running between 40 and 60 shows a year back then. Yeah. It's not real great on the home life, especially yeah. if your wife She's not a great wrestling fan, but she doesn't hate it. It's all right to go every once in a while. Yes. Uh, I'm so, with you. <laughs> yeah. You know all about that. I'm, I'm with, with you. you. Yeah. So you so you get a lot of uh, – it helps when the conflict – well, honey, it's part of my investment. So it, it helps. And then she, it also means she's more comfortable that you're not going to, in the end, lose your money you invested. But, yeah. you know, that's – yeah. It's, it's just a wrestling business. So. Right. All right. Well, then I see you went later on after you had uh, left uh, World League back in 2013. I was reading that you went into, uh, well, Metro Pro, and then uh, which was changed to National Wrestling, wrestling League, uh, owned by uh, Major uh, Basden. And uh, what was your interaction there? What did you do? It started out, I had worked with Chris Go with Metro Pro for his revitalization of the Kansas City wrestling scene, which, you know, the Jeremy Wyatts and all that, and Mark Sterlings and, and Mark, Michael Striders and all that had been somewhat names before, but the actual scene had basically gone away. And Chris Go with Metro Pro had revived that scene. Of course, a little background, Chris. I don't know if you've had him on the show or you've oh, talked wow. to him. He's he's a he was he's a graduate from the University of Missouri Journalism School. He oh, wow. did a couple of internships with WWE as a writer, and then of course he came to uh, the Metro Sports Networks and was one of the anchors there. Mm-hmm. So he knew a little bit about the wrestling business, uh, and as he told me when we sat down and visited that time, he. He needed somebody to trust when you're because wrestling's an all cash business. Yeah. So would you mind running my door for me? Which was great. The setup there, Turner Rec was, you know, the door was right where you had the great rings to. So I thought it was a way for me to pay back to the wrestling business because Kansas City in the history of professional wrestling has gotten lost a couple times when people talk about it. They forget about Orville Brown. They forget about Bob Geigel. They forget yeah. about the NWA. And, you know, it's all WWE stuff. Yeah. So after that, when Major, when Chris announced that he was uh, basically going to close the Metro op- Pro Operations and it was going to join the National the National Wrestling League yeah. and Major Baston's operation, um, Chris had never run a lot in Missouri and all the venues they had kind of found to make the presentation that the, you know, the vision of that group of Major and Chris and, you know, that creative group was that we wanted a venue that was unique and grand. Well, the ones they could find were always in Missouri. Yeah. They needed somebody that had worked with the Missouri Commission, somebody that had ran the door. So they gave me a call and said, would you mind joining our little our little baby band is the guy at the door. And I said, sure, I have no problem. Well, that kind of created some, because anytime a new wrestling promotion starts up, the commission really doesn't understand. You know, 
are these guys a bunch of fly-by-nighters? Do they have the backing to make it work? Yeah. You know, and there's all kinds of rumors floating around. So um, I think it was done once when the athletic commissioner walked in the door, he saw it was me standing there. He says, well, that's good. He knows what he's doing. And then uh, as the relationship went on for that run, uh, we had a fantastic relationship because we were bringing national names in. Yeah. In Missouri, you've got to have you know, national indie names. You've got to have blood work. You've got to have physicals. And the commission felt pretty reliable that that was all going to be done when they walked in the door, which we did. We followed yeah. the rules to the T. And it was a great run, Major. Uh, I learned a lot from him about just general business. Yeah. When you get in the backside of how to – uh, in the new era, you know, the days of just walking through town, slapping posters up on every window, uh, it's still a pretty good, strong part of it. Right. But it's not a key driver with YouTube and social media sure. and all that stuff. And then the marketing, targeted marketing that flows in and out of those, you know, viral websites and all that. And Major was amazing to learn about you know, sampling who your audience, how many hits, look at the hits, shake those hits out to find out who, who's actually a possible or likable customer. Then we could have basically the way our ticketing program worked when you bought your tickets online, we knew who you were. Right. Because we had will call basically. Then we could look, well, are they active on our social media? Are they part of their, so are they part of our target? Did this guy buy a ticket and he wasn't actually in our, social media group and the target. So there's a lot of things I learned from major and his group, Brad Fox and all those about marketing. That was yeah. a cutting edge and it still is today. It's pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty neat. Yeah. What you can use the internet now to do. Yeah. Well, I was going to tell you, um, I moved, I, I lived, uh, I retired from the military in 2015 and then I moved to Marshall, Missouri for a few years. I was the director of public safety at Missouri Valley college. And then, I got a job. I work uh, at Kaufman now uh, with the Royals and I moved here in 2018, the Lee summit. And I was, I tell them this is honest, God's true. Right before business operations shut down for NWL, I saw it on TV. I was going to go buy a ticket and take my wife and I, and the day I went to go buy it is the day that they cut off everything. And I was kind of in shock about that because I thought they were building up really well. They were getting around the state and it was kind of surprising to me that it just one day was gone. Um, I knew it was a kind of a buildup, but I mean, I was just, I went to go buy a ticket and I couldn't. And then I found out later that they ceased operations and they had a lot of talent. That's what really surprised me. Uh, we had fantastic talent. Some of them you can see on ROH and yep. stuff right now. Um, the, the, I believe the formula at the end was working, mm -hmm. but the beginning, there was a huge upfront investment. Yeah. Uh, for those that have ever seen a live show, we had the big jumbotron. It was portable. We took it everywhere we went. Guys, that's well over 200K yeah. investment. Yeah. Uh, the ring was... Uh, not only did we have that, we also had created a training center for the guys to work out in. We yes. had video rooms. I mean, the upfront cost was huge. Yeah. And uh, Major had had basically what 
in my conversation with him had set a limit, I'm going to invest X amount of dollars. And by that investment, when that runs out, I should be receiving a return of X, Y, Z. Well, when he made the first assessment, we weren't at the return basis, but he could see the upward line. We were going to go, well, let's look at it some more. Let's see if we can't modify some more. The modifications improved the uptick a little bit, but it never reached the level of reaping that multi-million dollar investment that NWL was. Yeah. And, uh, and to this date, a lot of those guys were under contract. They were being paid uh, a nice salary for a just playing business person, let alone an independent wrestler. Mm-hmm. They had health insurance. They had a some of them had 401k, depends on where they were at. So he was a running wrestling like a true business, which is expensive. Yeah. There's a reason WWDE doesn't offer insurance and retirement programs to all their guys. Right. Uh, but Major had stepped up and decided to do that. Uh, his, uh, so I have nothing but uh, a good – besides we disappeared on the fans, that, that still is something I feel sorry about. Yeah. I wish we would have had that last show in April that night. Yeah. And announced, ladies and gentlemen, we're closing, but we did not um, – Later, Chris Go and that group of the wrestlers created that last Metro show we did at Turner, which kind of closed all the story rings up and allowed all the not only the fans to say goodbye to the wrestlers, but it also allowed that that core group of fifteen to twenty-five individuals mm-hmm. that for those eighteen months had trudged in and out of Kansas City in the middle of the day, the middle of the night, yeah. blood, sweat, and tears to uh, to close out and say goodbye. Yeah. I said, to my knowledge, not he fulfilled every contract. He fulfilled well, and I would have some pretty good knowledge since the end. I was in the middle of a lot of the cash. Fulfilled uh, <laughs> every venue requirement, even the two venues we did not run after the abrupt closure received funding. Right. I mean, everything was squared up away the way it should be. So uh, sad it happened. I think. Uh, it, the progression and the growth line it was on, we were on our way to be something. Mm-hmm. Not that we weren't something. I mean, right. The, I know. Yeah. The wrestling we were putting on had not been yeah. seen in Kansas City in years. No. And uh, at, at one time, I would put us up with any promotion in the country and possibly NXT and AEW at one time with. Yeah our quality of work and the, and the quality of presentation. Yeah. Especially I mean, in Kansas city and Wichita and all the places that, yeah. yeah, you know, our normal presentation exceeded a normal WWE house show that would be a show up in Kansas city. Yeah. Unless it was a pay-per-view. Right. So for that to get back into the hearts and the hands of the local wrestling fans, it was outstanding. in my opinion. I mean, I, I'd watch it on YouTube, uh, your shows there, the NWL. I, I I watched a few Facebook live events where like Marty Bell, the female wrestler uh, would present stuff. And I thought I was, that's why I was shocked when you, when it closed, I was like, cause I went by the uh, training center. Y'all had, it was next to a, the, there's like a little whiskey. Pick and pickle. Yeah. Pick and pickle. Yeah. That place we did. Whatever it is. Yeah. 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 We, we went there one day and I, I didn't know that was right there. 
I was like, oh my gosh, there's the NWL's uh, training center. And it looked very clean, very professional from the outside. I didn't go inside, but uh, you know, when I'd watch the events and you guys had such good storylines uh, of those wrestlers, male and female, uh, that's, you know, I was telling my wife, we got to go to one of these shows. We've got to go to one of these shows. When we moved to Kansas city uh, and that April show was coming up, I literally was going to go buy a ticket, like I said, and then it was shut down and I would watch it on TV. It was on late at night, but I would watch it or DVR it. Uh, so I was, I was sad when it went away, but you know, I understand it's, it's, it's a business, you know, and if you don't meet your marketing and, or your return of investments, then that's just the way it is. And you know, there, there's no storyline. How do you either become uh from a millionaire to a billionaire or a billionaire to a millionaire, get in the wrestling business. Cause there's no, there's no gray area. You either yeah. make it or you lose everything you have. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we lost everything we had, but again, when you're a business person and you expect investment a to yield at least X percent, you know, you will take a couple bumps in the market, but eventually yeah. uh, you don't become quite wealthy by continuing your to do something over and over. And again, you do, you know, if you're getting out, do you do it with class? And there's no doubt that at the organization when they got out yeah. of the business, besides what just the abrupt closure. Yeah. And if you talk to some of the people, well, we could have had the show and then disappointed the fans or did we, you know, when the decision was made, do you make the decision to get on the road? Well, the decision was made and they got on the road. So, yeah. No, it was, uh, I enjoyed the program, like I said. So let's talk about some of your interactions with some wrestlers. Uh, you know, I saw you at uh, World League Wrestling. I mean, when I was there a few times, you had Bob Orton, uh, Ricky Steamboat, <clears throat> uh, some other ones. How was your relationships with those with those type? I mean, at that level, the WWE, the that you still talk to them? Do you interact with them once in a while? Some, some of them I do. Uh, some of them I have chat with. Some of them, if I see them at an event, because uh, I'll get we can get to what I'm doing now later. But uh, they're still very cordial. Now I want to preface this: they were there because of Harley, right? So a they were there to see and talk to Harley, and b typically they were on their best behavior <laughs> when they were around Harley, because Harley would uh, make no qualms about putting someone in their place right. quickly. Yeah. Uh, my, my, my greatest, and uh, of course, we, we use Ted DiBiase a lot, and Ted was great, mm-hmm. whether you wanted to talk about life in general, about you know your faith and where you were going, uh, or if you wanted to talk about the wrestling business, you know, he was the million-dollar man. He was there. Uh, I grew pretty close with his two kids, uh, I talked to Teddy Jr. a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bart was in and out a little bit, so we, there was no strong relationship there. But uh, uh, Ted's Ted's a good friend, and I mm-hmm. and we take the opportunity every time he's close, or he he'll send me a, a you know Instagram message, "Hey brother, how you doing? Things all right?" Uh, he was one of the attendees at Harley's funeral. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Steamboat, a uh, very not strange relationship, but the knowledge tree that was there, and he allowed you to drink that knowledge, ask him wrestling questions, yeah. all that stuff. 
Ricky was fantastic. He worked with the beginner wrestler to the end wrestler. He always was at the school. Some of those guys would come in and they wanted to be at the lake. Yeah. But other guys wanted to be at the school, and Ricky was one of those guys that wanted to be at the school. Of course, Ricky was another attendee at the funeral. Uh, Some of the uh, interactions that you have to, uh, that were unique, of course, uh, Ace Steele has become a great friend. People know Ace. He was uh, until the big cuts there in Florida. He was a trainer at WWE. His famous student is CM Punk, although he can claim fame to uh, developing Colt Cabana and Adam Pierce's characters also. Okay. It's amazing what would have been in that training facility because they were all there at one time in the steel domain and outside Chicago to look <laughs> around the room and go, holy cow, look at look at this card. But um, um, I've met all the guys. Adam Pierce is an angel. He's fantastic. Uh, he's a very extremely businessman. He's a co-producer now with WWE. Right. Um, Colt is a is one of the most business oriented persons you'll ever meet. <laughs> yeah, but yet he will he, he knows where he came from. He will say hi. Uh, Punk, uh, I cannot say nothing but fantastic things about him. People will say, well, he's quirky. He's all that. Uh, you have to give a crane of salt, as I say, since I grew up at the lake and would meet. All these people from all over the country, you could kind of tell that Chicago people are a little different than St. Louis people and Kansas City Midwest people are a little different. So Punk has been nothing but a fantastic guy. Uh, Again, part of that is because when you interacted with Punk, either Ace was there or Harley was there. Yeah. Um, I guess um, my wildest thing was the night with Randy Savage. That was unbelievable. Uh, the Macho Man was on the Macho Man planet that night. Uh, he um, he was really out there. The time, the couple trips to Roddy Piper, you had to, like I said, get in that angle into his plane where he was, yeah. where he was at, and understand uh, where he had been and how he was brought into the business. On well, why did he say that? Well, you're, oh, because that's extremely. Canadian old school, or that's extremely, you know, stampede wrestling old school. That's, you know, that, so a lot of the younger guys could never understand, you know, some of, he did a lot of winking and nodding. It was alluding to how he was trained. So a lot of those, you know, those guys were professional relationships. I think probably the strongest one I've got is with Ted DiBiase Jr. Of course, uh, Kurt, um, the Mr. Joe Hennig, a.k.a. whatever he was used at the WWE. Uh, Joe's a great guy. He spent some great time with us, great memories, solid individuals. Um, The third generation stars that we worked with that made it to WWE, including Trevor Murdoch and Simon Gotch, at the end of the day, they're all strong, solid persons uh, to put up with the nonsense they have to put up to get to where they get, whether your last name's DiBiase or your last name's, you know, Murdoch. Yeah. So pretty strong. And I mean, again, I look back at it and reflect, yeah, were they tended because Harley was always around and were they always on their best behavior? You know, we never saw them, you know, you hear rumors of them going berserk and tearing hotel rooms. Up. We never saw that. Of yeah. course, some of them were a little older. In the beginning of WLW, when it was transitioning from Legion to World, we were seeing, you know, Mr. Perfect was still in his prime. He was just between federations. 
uh, you know, the boss man and all those guys, but they were always in for one or two nights and then they were the life of a wrestler on the next territory. It was used to be called yeah. the next show. So. All right. Well, great. I have one, I have a few more questions. One is out of the indie wrestlers today on the independent circuit that, that you've seen, which one do you think has probably the potential to move up into the AEW WWE impact roster? I mean, that you know, that you can think of. I would think heads and above anybody out there still working regularly today, Kansas City's Jeremy Wyatt needs to be somewhere, whether it's NXT or it's AEW or it's ROH or it's the new NWA power. That's Jeremy Wyatt by far is now what I would call, you know, every – Area has D guy. Yeah. In my opinion, that's my humble opinion, whether you can take it with a grain of salt or not. Jeremy Wyatt is that guy for draw a hundred mile circle around Kansas city. And he is that guy. Well, I'm probably 250 miles. Circle. He is. That his guy. matches are solid. Yeah. His matches are understandable. His matches tell a story. Um, and he, Lives the character, is the character, and on top of that, he's a pretty nice guy. I mean, I mean, all the things that you have to check the boxes off to make it in our business anymore. Yeah. Yeah. He checks the boxes. Okay. Um, going to uh, the eastern side of the state, someone that should at least get an opportunity uh, to appear probably would be Gary J. The red. You know, mm-hmm. Gary's a good, solid worker. There's always been a little, he's not a big guy. He's not, you know, he's, he's just who he is, but yet he can wrestle. So he, he's, he's, he would be my number two guy. Either one of those guys getting signed and popping up on my television one night would not mm-hmm. surprise me whatsoever. So, Do and there are a couple tag teams. The besties would be a great tag team you could see floating around. Uh, the Regal Twins on that side of the state. Yeah. I mean, those groups and and they have seen some exposure. Yeah, uh, the Regals have you know been to Japan. They've made a couple all Japan and New Japan shows. Uh, so those those guys are probably the the best group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's always a few people out there somewhere else. Um, but uh, those those that brothers well, two four those six guys would not surprise me popping up anyway. Okay. Uh, so. All right, and so. You know, when I, we're seeing a little bit of a comeback in uh, independent circuit wrestling coming back, uh, do you see it making that comeback potential to be on smaller market televisions? Because right now, you know, you have AEW, which is big, of course, WWE. You get some Ring of Honor here in Missouri. Um, but you hear the NWA, who's coming back. They're on uh, – YouTube and uh, David Marquez. I know he has some out in California. Uh, do you see these some of these independent wrestling coming onto television, making making maybe a hitting that market of where WWE and those guys are not as popular? I guess. Well, the 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 first thing you're going to see, I might just again me. Uh, you're going to see them advancing in the live market. 
Okay. What the pandemic where you can only have a mm-hmm. hundred fans in the ring, no matter whether you, you know, got Dustin Rhodes or you've got Joe Schmo mm-hmm. wrestling, that's where the advances can be made. Okay. The big leap from live wrestling to television, it's a different genre and it costs production money. It's the difference between a small college team and the Royals. Whole different. You know, that college team could have the greatest talent on it, but when you get to the major leagues, there's a whole operation yeah. that you're now not being compared to how good you are, but you're, you're in a way being compared to the AEWs uh-huh. and the ROHs and the WWEs and the NXTs. What is your production? How does your product look on television yeah and to make that certain look on television you have to have a talent that their personalities go across the airways to get people invested you have to have the production and the shot ability to allow that to happen and i hate to say it taking video in on an iphone although they are great yeah might get you into one local television market right but it's never going to push you above that one or two station market. And I think what we're talking about is actually breaking into a must watch something that if you walk in the door, any television station that doesn't have one of the other ones on it, mm-hmm. they say, we, we'll take you. You look great. Cause we've got to compete. Right. Yeah. I know David Marquez with his uh, United wrestling yeah. group where he started to branch into Arizona and Memphis and so that might be the way. I haven't seen it in function enough. I know Dave. Uh, I've known Dave since 1997, I guess, when I was first walking into those Remington shows. Yeah. You're getting sucked into the business. He's got a, an amazing television mind. Yeah. Uh, some of his problem is, like everyone's, to get find the right talent, you know, as a, I, and I'll never forget William Regal at a seminar they did for Harley said, guys, there are roughly 10,000 people in the United States that call themselves a professional wrestler. There is one John Cena. Of course, John Cena was at the top of the card. There is only one John Cena. We are looking for the next John Cena. Yeah. So that, 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 Comments always stuck with me in my mind. Yeah. And then Ricky Steamboat, which was at the same thing, said, now, it's true we have one John Cena's, but we also have nine other people on the card. Your goal right now is to become one of those nine. Yeah. Eventually, one of those nine will be the next John Cena. Yeah. So you got to get to point B before you get to point A. And that was probably one of the greatest seminars we've had. Yeah. That was one of the, that was the seminar in 205, I think. Champa, a lot of the guys were there at that seminar. It was a fantastic learning tree experience. Did they do a lot of crazy stuff in the ring? No, it was tons of basics, but just the interaction and the talks. Yeah. That people said, hey, you know, you've got to be the guy. Yeah. If you're just, in a, and I think uh, when Dustin Rhodes spoke, he said, not only do you have to be good on the camera, but you got to be good on the technique. Yeah. And so it, 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 it's, is, is, there, is there a possibility 
for something like that to happen? Yes. Will it take a, a lot of time, a lot of concerted effort in many years or a lot of luck? Probably. Yeah. Do you watch a lot of wrestling today? The, uh, the, the AWs? I catch a, I catch a little bit of it. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, a lot of it's cookie cutter. Yeah. I, so you're if not the you, first person to tell me that. Yeah. If so, and it's really becomes more cookie cutter if you've been behind the curtain mm-hmm. and actually heard some of this stuff pre-public. You're like, I can tell you exactly what he said. No, he said yes, and he said we're going to do it anyway. Yeah. So you you can just buy some of the stuff that yeah. I I think we see a lot more or I do. Mm-hmm. And maybe I walk it and watch it more with a critical eye because I've I've You've gotten behind the scenes more and more. Yeah. We see a lot of goose. We see a lot of basic stuff being missed. Yeah. A lot of arm drags that should be solid and make or not. It's and so that's my opinion. We see, a, I see a lot of stuff rushed, but I don't. Um, get to, you know, you're like, no, they could have slowed that down and made it a little yeah. more solid, yeah. a little more. Um, thing. Yeah. And, and you know, Ted these be Ted always started his seminars off. Everybody buys a ticket to your show. The guy in the front row and the guy in the back row. Mm-hmm. So whatever you do, you've got to touch and reach both yeah so if you go to the floor slapping somebody the only guy that's really getting a good view and going oohing and on is the guy you're in front of the guy that paid the cheap seat ticket he's eating popcorn drinking soda that's not what we're here to do right so we're here to keep everybody involved so that's that's a good analogy yeah 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 so all right that's yeah and what you just said is spot on i mean i've been watching since i was a little kid and going uh when you were in World League Wrestling and you watch those guys, I mean, they're busting their butts. They are really, really putting in the effort, the work. And I'm not saying the guys in the in the big leagues are not. I'm just saying that I see, like you said, the cookie cutter, more of the showing of the move and not really fully executing it, just doing the move. Unless it's their trademark move, you know coming off the top rope or whatever it is, they'll do that. And and so, yeah, it's changed. If you were, I mean, if you've only been involved in wrestling the last 10, 12 years, that's all you saw is the cookie cutter stuff. Where like for me, you and I, you know, 70s, 80s, yeah, 70s, 80s, even in the 90s, you know, late 90s, we, you know, we saw a different. And so that's why I like to have people as yourself that were in the back as well, that understand that. And it, it's just great to, to get that perspective from you. So, all right. So one last question, then we'll get you out of here. What are you doing now, sir? Well, I work for the state of Missouri. Uh, my main job is I am the director of extended employment uh, slash shelter workshops. Uh, I work on the state liaison with about 89 non-for-profits, we employ about 6,000 severely disabled adults in a industrial manufacturing setting, packaging, recycling, uh, some things like that. That's my main job. And I was away from wrestling 
were from both Harley when really when Harley passed away, and basically my last everyday full time was with NWL. I had I missed wrestling a little bit, yeah. Um, so I do now also work in the wrestling side. I'm one of the, what they call uh, the black shirts for the state of Missouri. I am now an athletic commissioner. Oh, inspector. okay. Yeah, I'm awesome. on site inspectors that uh, are at the events to make sure the guys are licensed and all that and abiding by what very few rules wrestling has. <laughs> so, uh, matter of fact, that's why we kind of did this earlier today. We don't, I guess we don't need to tell the folks you know that this part out, but I'm on the way for about a four and a half car ride. We have an independent show tonight. So, Oh, well, down in the boot hill. So that's where I'm going. Well, good luck. And again, thank you for taking the time. I know you're busy out of your schedule today to, to do this with me. Uh, Dan Geyer, thank you so much, sir. I appreciate it. Well, guys, good luck on the podcast. Hey, tune in, folks. Uh, I've listened to once I got the offer, I listened to some. It's it's pretty good stuff. It's really great. So keep it up. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. You have a good day and be safe. All right. Thank you. All right. 